listening to First Church Charlotte. Greetings to all of you. Pastor Nathan here. We are continuing our long journey through this interesting time of our lives, this uh, social distancing, shall we say. Um, I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm over it, and I'm ready to get back to regular life. I miss you all tremendously. Uh, I do want to spend a few moments with you uh, sharing a few things uh, from my heart to your heart. Um, we, I, I really feel it's an honor to be able to teach the Word of the Lord, and I, I know I say that a lot, but it is the most common emotional response I have uh, whenever I step to a, a platform or a pulpit and I open the word of the Lord together. So um, here we go. If you look at the story in Luke chapter number three and Luke chapter number four, uh, you are of course reading a gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and you will see, you will see in chapter number three that uh, Jesus goes to Jordan and there uh, he sees, meets with uh, John the Baptist and John the Baptist of course, says those great famous words that we all celebrate, which is various versions of this. Um, I baptize you with water, but there's one who's coming who will baptize you with fire. Uh, John will say that I'm not even worthy as a prophet to unlatch the shoe, the buckle of the, the shoe of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm, I'm unworthy of that. And John the Baptist will, of course, speak to some of his followers and he will say, he will say, uh, you followed me as long as you can. Now it's time for you to follow him. In fact, some of the uh, disciples, the earliest disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ come from the disciples that were following John the Baptist. I want to show you something here in this, this passage. Uh, you probably will have, have seen this or heard this before, but there's a lesson in it that I want us to spend a moment, a moment with here tonight. Chapter number three of the book of Luke, Jesus is baptized. There's many people baptized that day. If you read the passage, you'll see that there are uh, many people baptized. Jesus is baptized. Uh, and then uh, the Spirit of the Lord places upon him the, the mark of his favor and his blessing. Uh, that is in the sign of a dove. And the word of the Lord speaks and says, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Now, in the writing of Luke, uh, he'll pause right there and he will insert uh, the genealogy of the Lord Jesus Christ. Next chapter, chapter number four, and you read, Jesus being full of the Holy Ghost returned from Jordan. Now remember, was baptized in Jordan. He returns from Jordan and this is the very next thing Luke will say. And Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. We know, because most of us know this uh, particular place in the Scripture, and uh, we are in some ways familiar with the story of the Lord Jesus Christ, we know that it is in the wilderness that he will be tested. We know that it is in the wilderness where uh, Satan will try to tempt him to tempt him to turn away from a divine ordained path and take some type of a spiritual shortcut. We all would do well to remember that in our life, that so often the attack of the enemy against us is, is not simply get us to sin, 
but get us to try to find or create or justify a spiritual shortcut, almost as though you were to steal something that is of the kingdom of God, but you wouldn't pay for it. You would find a shortcut to it. And this really is the type of temptation uh, that Satan offers to the Lord Jesus Christ in the wilderness. It is, it is the tempting of taking a shortcut, not walking in a way of trust, not walking in a way of faith, but to take a shortcut. Don't, don't discover to see if you grow in favor with God. Just jump off the pinnacle of the temple, and if the angels catch you, then you'll know, and not only that, everyone here will know. You won't have to have faith, besides the jumping part, and the people won't have to have faith. They won't have to believe you. They won't have to choose to follow. There will be a public miracle demonstrated where you are acknowledged at this place of worship as the son of God. Why? Because the angels themselves caught you and would not let you come to harm. This is an image of the temptation uh, that Jesus would go through. Now, Jesus was God, but he was also flesh. He was spirit and he was also human, like just as we are. And the Bible says he would be and was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. And so, in the same manner, we were tested and we fell. Jesus was tested and he succeeded. And the result of that is he becomes the perfect sacrifice. He becomes the holiness I could never attain. He becomes the victory I could never reach. And we, through the gospel of Jesus Christ, are able to stand in his victory. But, but notice this. Jesus has been baptized. There's been this public sign of God's favor upon him. He, the Bible says, Luke says, is full of the Holy Spirit. And at that moment, it's time for him to go into his wilderness. If you serve the Lord any length of time at all, you will, you will, you will have your own testimonies of wilderness. You'll have your own testimonies of, of confusion and question and wondering and worry. Wilderness is always an image, Old Testament to New Testament. It's always an image of both test and trial, but also becoming and victory. God uses wildernesses in our life to prepare us for the next spiritual transition. God uses wildernesses in our life for us to figure out who we are and who God is. God uses wildernesses as a building place for faith. If God brought you through that, surely he's going to give you victory in this. Now, this isn't just in the life of Jesus Christ. It's in the life of almost every individual in the word of God who will be used of God. Every single one of them will face the wilderness. So it probably would help us to just accept and confess right now, uh, we're going to have to walk through wilderness places. We're going to have to go through seasons of isolation, seasons of struggle, seasons of 
of wondering. Uh, But the end of the story is just as sure for us as it was for all the generations who have gone before us. And this is how the story ends. God will bring you through your wilderness. God will bring me through my wilderness. If there's one thing that I can stand upon, it is that God will bring his work, his kingdom, and even himself glory by me making it through the wildernesses of my test and and trial. So if you know, and I know that we're going to go through testing, if we know we're going to face uh, discouragement and dilemma, if we know that, if we are, as it were, given an open book test. Do you remember open book tests in school? They were always my favorite. Open book test means you have a chance to review Uh, everything you were supposed to know before you have to commit to an answer. As Christians, all of us are given open book tests every day. That's why you ought to be in the word of the Lord every day because it's an open book test. And you can see what God has done for generation after generation and you can carry that knowledge into your own life. It's an open book test and here's how it goes. If God brought the children of Israel out of Egypt, he's going to bring us out of Egypt. If God brought those children of Israel through the wilderness, he's going to bring us through the wilderness. So it is at this moment in the gospel of Luke where Jesus goes into his wilderness. Uh, He does it in, in, I, I, I like to think, as a way of showing all of us Now, there's other reasons, of course. There is the victory that is inherent in Jesus Christ, and there is the victory that is demonstrated by him passing these tests. But also, there's the example that all of us are going to have wildernesses in our life. And I I would be deceiving myself if I were to pretend as though knowing I had to go through a wilderness made the wilderness easy. Because as a believer, as a as a individual Christian and as a leader and a pastor, I've gone through wilderness experiences in my life. And the truth is, in some ways, I'm in an experience of wilderness right now, and probably you are in an experience of wilderness also. Remember, however, wilderness is an open book test. If God said it, he's going to do that which he said. And so there's a few things I want you to know about your wilderness experience. A few things that will help us face it with courage and with spiritual maturity. Spiritual maturity is just so important for us because without it, we are at the mercy of our emotions. And I, look, full disclosure, I wrestle with emotions just like you do. I wrestle with feeling like, um, I wonder if it's going to be okay. And, and, and when you're preaching, it sounds silly, but in the midnight hour, it is absolutely authentic. And you, you wonder, even though you know God will bring glory out of this, even though you've seen it, even though you've sung the songs, he's an on-time God, yes, he is. <laughs> even though you have preached the messages, you still have the question, is this the one that gets me? Is this the trial that gets me? Am I coming through? Well, you know you're coming through. You're a believer. I know you're coming through. I know I'm coming through. 
I am a believer. And even so, the wilderness shapes us. The wilderness forms us. The wilderness experiences in our life build us into something that God finds useful. The first thing that I would have you know if you're trying to figure out if you're going through a wilderness experience is the most simple of tests, and that is this. Uh, Are you able to sense the presence of God in your life? Um, The presence of God is a beautiful thing. It's a nurturing thing. It's a sustaining thing in our lives. And uh, most of the time, If you draw nigh unto God, he draws nigh unto you. I don't mean that just in the sense of God's presence. We know that is true in a literal uh, spiritual sense, but it's also true in our own ability to perceive God. If I draw nigh to God, usually I I will be more sensitive to his presence. If I draw nigh to God, I will be more open to his presence. Like the prophet said, somebody, somebody bring a timbrel or a harp and let's sing a little bit. What are we doing? We're drawing nigh unto God so we can feel after his presence and his word and his direction in our life. Most of the time, if you draw nigh to God, he responds to you. He's as close as the mention of his name. He lets you know he is with you. He wraps his comforting arms around you. Uh, That's a true thing. But in wildernesses, it has been my testimony and it has been my experience that often, no matter how hard I try, I cannot perceive the presence of God. If you're living through something like that, you're in a wilderness season. It's not time to give up. It's not time to uh, surrender. Understand it's a wilderness season. Job, I think, reflects this best in chapter 23, verse number eight. He said, behold, I go forward, but he's not there. I go backward, but I cannot perceive him. On the left hand where he doth work, but I cannot behold him. He hideth himself on the right hand that I cannot see him, but he knows, but he knows, but he knows the way that I take. And when he hath tried me, I shall come forth as gold. What's the gold image there? It's purified. Gold is purified purified. And the more pure it is, the more valuable it is to the person who has it. And so having reassured himself that although I cannot perceive God, he knows the way I take. This is a perfect picture of spiritual maturity in the middle middle of a wilderness experience. If you cannot perceive God's presence, you're walking through a wilderness It's going to be okay. You are going to make it. The second thing that might be a cue to you that you are stuck in a wilderness is when you seem to be going in the opposite direction of the dreams that God has given you. If your life seems to be going in an opposite direction of the hopes and the callings of the anointings and the spiritual impartations that God has given you, if your life seems to be going in the opposite direction of the thing that God has sunk in your spirit and literally is drawing out of you and wooing you toward, if what you're living through is in the opposite direction, you might be in a wilderness. Um, As a pastor, uh, it's easy for me to feel this separation time, this uh, weeks and hopefully weeks and not months, we'll see, of social distancing as we're going in the opposite direction of what God has placed in my heart. That's that's a perfect example of I have something in my heart. I long to see people 
come together with hope on their faces and worship on their lips and, and they strengthened by their brothers and their sisters are, are caught up in a place of worship and then God starts right there and, and he touches them and, and they begin to grow in understanding and maturity and they go from uh, the place of spiritual babes and, and weak and, and so much they don't know but now they're able to come and, and, and they're bringing someone else with them and they're stronger than that person but the testimony is drawing them and now they once were a babe in Christ and now they're growing up in Christ and they're the ones encouraging somebody and they're the ones volunteering in ministries and they're the ones who is coming up with ministry ideas. I think we could do this. We should try that. It's worth the risk. We should give it a shot and seeing them grow. I live for that. Pastors everywhere, if they, if they, if they feel anything like I feel, they live for that. They live for seeing people coming together in the name of Jesus for the ministry of the kingdom, changed by the promises of God, empowered and then sent. They came in broken, but they went out full with a message that God heals the broken. This is what I live for. But right now, I, I'm, I'm preaching to a stinking camera. That's the reality. Now, that's a perfect example of living through a wilderness. What is in me is opposite of the direction my life seems to be going in. The third thing that might give you insight into the wilderness experiences in your life is that is, is the example of the children of Israel in the wilderness, and they're given manna. Now, here's the thing about manna. Yes, it is miraculous provision, um, but it's not the kind of provision that makes you rich. It's the kind of provision that gives you just enough to make it till tomorrow. I hope you heard what I just said. Manna doesn't store overnight. Manna is there in the morning, and it's enough for today. If you try to keep it overnight, store it up, grow wealthy and secure with it, it spoils because manna is not God's provision of blessing. It's God's provision of just enough. You've probably lived a few years in your life where God wasn't giving you what you wanted, but he was giving you what you needed. And your life felt like you had just enough for today. You couldn't ever really get ahead. You couldn't ever really settle into a place of spiritual comfort or even spiritual accomplishment because all you had was just enough for today. This is the reality of living in a place of manna, not a place that flows with milk and honey. God has them in a wilderness experience and he's given them just enough for today. Just enough for today. Tomorrow, they're gonna have to go and get some more manna. I have lived years of my life there. Um, not most of my life, but there's been years of my life where I felt like I was doing my best just to start again the next morning and God was faithful. No, I wasn't in a land that flowed with milk and honey, but there was manna enough every day for me to make it through that day. If you're living there in any of those, those three places, you cannot sense the presence of God even when you draw near to him. You seem like you're going in the opposite direction of what God has filled your heart's desire with, your heart's desire to be, or third, you're only receiving enough 
to make it through the day, not enough to have a land of blessing. You probably, in some manner, are in a wilderness experience, and you probably are facing a wilderness season of your life. It's not time to get discouraged. It's not time to feel alone. As I said, every character, every person, every generation in the Word of God had wilderness experiences. I I have a lot of uh, preacher friends and pastoral friends, and I, I want you to know none of them have a story that does not have a wilderness experience in it. I've never seen anyone mightily used of God who did not feel like at times part of them was literally dying, and God brought them through, and God lifted up their hands when they were weak, and God gave them ultimately a place of victory and testimony. If you're in your wilderness, I want you to know you're in good company because everybody who's ever done anything for God survived a wilderness. If you look at the scripture and you begin to look at the places where, where wilderness is used as spiritual instruction and spiritual direction. Um, you'll, you'll read things like Psalms 106, verse number 13. They soon forgot his works. They waited not for his counsel, uh, but lusted exceedingly in the wilderness and tempted uh, God in the desert. And he gave them their request, but sent leanness into their soul. Uh, this is another wilderness experience where desperation causes you to ask for the wrong things, or let me say it differently, pain makes your prayers dysfunctional. You see, prayer is not simply a a list we make that we give God as if he's some Santa Claus in the sky, and we say, here, this is what I want. I want a new house. I want a new car. I want a new boat. Yes. Yes, Lord. (laughs) We all understand that feeling. That That is immature. God is not in the business of giving us what we want because we want it. God's not even in the business of building our kingdoms. God has his own work that he is doing and he has invited us to be a part of that work. And whenever, hear me, whenever my prayer is more about my wants and wishes than the desires of the heart of God, I have made prayer dysfunctional. I have made it to be something it was never intended to be. If I'm using prayer to manipulate God rather than using prayer to see God change me, I am praying dysfunctional prayers. And in this picture here, in their wilderness, their pain, their desperation, their want is so great, even their prayers are wrong. They ask amiss, and God shows mercy, and he gives them what they want. And of course, I don't want to get too deep into this story. I just want you to see the kind of mistakes we make in the wildernesses of our life. And God brings us through those errors. We sometimes pay a lean price, a season of leanness because of those errors. But God brings us through and presents us again at the door of the promised land and says, you are able. Remember, God's not going to leave you in your wilderness. God's not going to abandon you in your wilderness. Um, Even if your wilderness extends for all of your years here on earth, even if you have something like the Apostle Paul had where uh, he prayed and prayed that the Lord would 
heal him or fix him or change him from that thorn of the flesh. And the Lord chose not to do it. And Paul shows maturity and says, um, nevertheless, uh, you know, your grace is sufficient. He receives that word from the Lord. My grace is sufficient for, for you. Even if our trials or some element of our wilderness extends through this life, remember, this life is not the end of the story. This life is just the end of the beginning. And we will in some place of God's time and God's generosity. Stand with him and we will look back and we will say, it's worth it all. Everything I went through was just like small affliction. Everything I suffered with was just like small things. It is worth it all. Wilderness is real. Wilderness experiences are real. However, they can be misunderstood. So I want to give you a few things, and as I, as I wrap up here, a few things that you should not, mistakes you should not make uh, when you are surviving the wilderness. The first one is this. You should never assume that because you're in the wilderness, God doesn't love you, or God doesn't favor you, or God's not with you, or you made a wrong turn somewhere. Remember the story of Jesus. He has a sign from God he is favored. There is a voice from heaven. There is a dove of, of divine sim, symbolic anointing. He's full of the Holy Ghost. And now it's time to go into the wilderness. Don't think the wilderness is about your favor with God. That's a, that's a mistake of, of immaturity. The wilderness is, is not about whether or not you're in the right place with God. Save yourself from the pain of, of thinking that. Um, it's not about that. It is about God's kingdom, God's work, and who you can be in his hand. It's not about how much he loves you. One of the things I, I like to uh, tell uh, people when I hire them, now I, I don't have a huge staff. Um, I have a f- decent sized staff, I guess, but um, I, at different uh, seasons of my life, have been a businessman and I've had a lot of people um, that I've, I've hired and I've worked with closely. And there was something that I, I, I heard it done once and I, I immediately saw the value of it. And I, I, I really chose it as a, a leadership principle for myself. And it goes like this. So say I'm hiring you and um, I tell you this. Um, I say, look, don't ever be afraid of feedback from me. Don't ever think that um, because I'm giving you feedback, in other words, I'm saying not this, that, don't be afraid when I'm doing that. Don't, don't, don't feel like you're about to lose your job when I'm giving you feedback. Don't feel like that I'm angry at you when I'm giving you feedback. Don't feel like I'm out to see you fail if I'm giving you feedback. You did something I didn't like, and I say, not this. I want that. Don't think. Don't be afraid then. You should be afraid when I stop giving you feedback. And the reason why that is is because I think you're not going to hear me anyway. I think you're not going to listen anyway. As long as I'm giving you feedback, that's a good thing. That means there's a point to us working together. When I stop giving you feedback, 
you should worry that maybe I'm looking to make a change in that, in that position. Now, that's, that, that's perhaps not the best example, but it comes to my mind because I feel like this is exactly what the Spirit of Lord, the Lord does with us. I feel like the Spirit of the Lord places us in positions that we might grow, and then we say, oh, that means God doesn't love us. No, it might be that he thinks the world of you, and you can be useful in his hand. He's giving you direction. He's giving you correction. This is not just uh, my idea. This is also shown uh, in the book of Hebrews where the writer says in a quite bold and even, shall we say, uh, shocking manner, if you won't receive the correction of the Lord, it is as though you don't have a real father. And the word he uses, we all know, is you're a, a, a bastard, an individual who ha- has no father. That's, that strikes our ears so harshly. We're church people. We don't talk like that. We don't think like that. And yet it's right there, clear, even if you were to read it in different languages, the, the, the same meaning is right there. Now, this isn't just a father disowning a son. This isn't just a father not claiming a son. This can also be a son rejecting a father. Because in the traditions of the ancient East, remember the story of the prodigal son? When a son would go to his father and say, I don't want to wait for you to die. (laughs) I don't want to wait until it's natural. I don't trust you with what is mine. Give me now my inheritance. That in the, the, the mindset of the time is as though the son is saying, I wish you were dead. Give me what is mine. If we will not obey the chastening of the Lord, it is as though the Father has rejected and denied us, or we have rejected and denied the Father. So this is the idea, as long as the Lord is chastening us, he is our Father. So do not run from the chastening of the Lord. Do not fear the feedback that God has for you in your life, and I'm preaching to myself Uh, when I say that. So again, number one, don't assume that because you're in the wilderness, you've made a wrong turn. Number two, stick to the path God has placed you on, even when your emotions think it's a bad idea. Your emotions will say, this is crazy. You should give up. You should quit. And when your emotions will not be given their way, they will attack you. Did did you hear what I just said? If you will not give your emotions what they want to do, they won't be quiet. They won't just sit down like well-behaved children. They will attack you. Your emotions will say you're a loser. Your emotions will say you're a failure. You're not giving them their way. So rather than arguing, they're now assaulting. Many of you have lived this. Do not turn off of the path God puts you on, even if it gets terrifying, even if it gets boring, even if it seems absurd. Do not let your emotions win. Number three, don't judge God's goodness by the trial. Judge God's goodness by the works of his testimony. Let me say it this way. Judge the goodness of God by the cross, not by your trial. Trials come and go. Good times come and go. Like Solomon said, there's a time for everything. Sometimes it's good. Sometimes it's bad. Sometimes it's sunny. Sometimes it's rainy. Get out of the business of passing judgment on God over what you are living through and see Calvary, see the cross, see a God who loves you this much, laying down his life, dying for you. Number four, um, remember that God's guidance comes to you one day at a time, because that's about how far we, each of us, can see. You've all heard the story about how to drive 
on a dark night anywhere, you're going to go to, say, uh, drive to Atlanta, and you say, oh, I can't see to Atlanta. How can I drive there? Well, you don't have to see to Atlanta. You just have to see the length of your uh, headlights, the oldest illustration in the preacher's handbook. So it is with serving God. God doesn't necessarily give you direction for next year. He'll give you direction for this year. God doesn't necessarily make it simple for you uh, next decade. God has something simple for you to do in the here and now. And number five, there's always a way out of whatever you are living through because God has promised he would not abandon you in your wilderness. The story never ends with the wilderness. It always ends at another place. Even when the ultimate defeat seems to come and Jesus Christ lifts his hands to the heaven and says, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? That's not the end of the story. It might be the worst moment of the wilderness. It might be the greatest pain. It might be the greatest heartache. It might be the worst of the worst. But the story never ends there. This week we celebrate the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And this Sunday we are celebrating together uh, the, 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 the resurrection of the Lord. It is our Easter, our, our holiday of Easter. As believers we celebrate resurrection uh, every Sunday for sure and most of the time every day. But Easter really is the formalized occasion where as a Christian society, we remember the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember that God did not leave his son forgotten in hell, but Jesus came out of the grave and he brought with them the keys to death, hell and the grave. So it is in all of our lives, no matter the wilderness, no matter how the years pass, no matter how our health rises and falls, no matter how our finances um, suffer and prosper, no matter how it all goes, there is a promise that every one of us has that because Christ has authority over death, hell and the grave, we who were the prisoners of death, hell, and the grave have the option of being set free by the one who has the keys. I want to invite you all to uh, join with us this Sunday and celebrate the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ here uh, at First Church. We are going to be partaking of the Lord's Supper together. You will need to get your your materials together beforehand um, to partake of this communion with us because we are, of course, uh, social distancing all over the metro area. Um, but if you would take the time and you would get some type of flatbread, um, I have encouraged you to maybe, if you've never done this before, get the recipe for Passover bread. It's available on multiple recipe sites on the internet. A simple search of Passover bread will get you a bunch of recipes. Make traditional Jewish Passover bread since you're home anyway. And uh, get yourself some uh, fruit of the vine. And let's, let's take communion together this Sunday. In the meantime, we're going to make it. The church is going to come through this stronger than ever. When we get back together, we're going to value worship in a way we've never valued worship. When we come back together, we're going, to eval- we're going to value one another in a way we've never valued one another. It's going to be uh, the second, the next best thing to the rapture of the church when we are able in this generation to come back together to worship one another. I love you all. You guys know the first church distance hug. I love you. I appreciate you. Have a great week. We'll see you Sunday morning on Easter Resurrection Day to celebrate together. We love you. God bless.
for listening to First Church Charlotte. If this podcast has blessed you, please rate it with four or five stars. By doing so, you will help others find our free podcast and bless them. If you're in the Charlotte, North Carolina area, come worship with us at 4929 North Sharon Amity Road. For information about service times, church ministries, and so much more, visit us online at firstchurchclt.com. If you would like to help support our efforts, please text GIVE to 704-445-5353. We pray God's richest blessings to you. Come worship with us.